Brilliant. Too many people start a wear case by slapping some composite on the teeth. And really what you need to do is to take a step back and work out why they've got a problem. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Protrusive Dental Podcast. This is episode 19 with Dr. Jason Smithson. Jason Smithson is an internationally acclaimed dentist and he's a fantastic educator. If you don't know who he is, you've probably been living under a rock or something because he is one of the most well-known dentists in the world. I went to his uh, course around about four years ago now on onlays and veneers. And it's one of the best courses I've been on. He is such an inspirational dentist in the sense that he shares so much of his knowledge. So if you go on Facebook and you check out some of his cases, they are fantastic. And like I said, he is famous all around the world, really. I know he teaches a lot in America, in Asia, and when he has time, he tries to do the UK as well. So I was really excited to have Jason on the podcast today. We will be discussing all things Emacs, lithium disilicate, and uh, particularly in respect to onlays, because, you know, we could talk about all sorts of veneers. I suppose we touch on that a little bit, but mostly it's about Emacs or lithium disilicate onlays posteriorly. And also we'll be talking about vertipreps, which are very much in fashion. And I think it's it's very poorly understood and a lot of the teaching seems to be on Facebook only. Uh, Jason's the only person I know who's running courses on vertical uh, in the UK. Uh, usually a lot of the dentists I know are running in Italy, so it's great to have um, Jason run the flag for the UK. And we'll be talking all about the vertical preparation. So if you're completely, you've never heard of vertipreps or if you've seen them and you've heard about them and you want to know more, then this episode is for you. It's packed with loads of gems as always, especially because we've got Jason. He's such a he's such a giver of knowledge. Before we join Jason in the main podcast, there's actually a lot of news I have to discuss with you. Those of you who follow me on Facebook and on Instagram, so Instagram is at Jazzy and on Facebook it's the Protrusive Dental Podcast Facebook page. I'm pretty active on there, I'm posting almost daily, and hopefully it's usually quite useful stuff for people, I hope. Uh, and so you would have seen my post about, my announcement if you like, about the fact that my podcast, starting from the next guest, which by the way will be Kushal Gadia, and yes, it's occlusion again, and I promise you it's going to be engaging even if you're not into your occlusion, because I think we're going to make it quite relevant for everyone, and it's be a funny title. I'm actually excited to share that with you, but I'm not going to tell you what the title is. I'm going to keep it a surprise. But from starting from Kushan Gadia's episode, it's going to be CPD, verifiable CPD or enhanced CPD. So the way it's going to happen is there'll be aims and objectives. There'll be some questions that you have to answer on dental tubules. And then you can actually get CPD for your commute. You know, while you commute and you're listening to the podcast, you can now be getting CPD, which is amazing. And it's all thanks to Drew Shah and dental tubules. And to be fair, if you're listening to my podcast, then you're probably a dentist who's really engaged. You're really passionate about dentistry. Or if you're none of those two, then you probably want to be engaged or you want to be in a position where you love dentistry and that's why you listen to me and that's that's amazing i love to have you on and i love you know i love uh, the, the feedback i'm getting that people are, are, are liking the content which is which is means the world to me but i want you to know that everything that i'm about with with the my dentistry and my passion for it and my podcast 
is the exact same thing that dental tubules is about. So it's if it's if it's one more thing that you need to join dental tubules. To be fair, I'm, I'm you know I'm probably certain that 60, 70 percent of my listeners are already tubulites. Uh, just because, like I said, you know the kind of people who invest themselves and who want to listen to my ramblings are the kind of people who are really passionate, and therefore you're probably already part of dental tubules. So for you guys, there will be some CPD from two episodes ago with Tiff Kreshi, the perm I shared with you was about the budget composite heater, which was 30 pounds. And looks like a lot of you are enjoying using it, which is great. So now you can access all the benefits of heated composite, heated LA. Uh, and also uh, my my now friend and, and listener, fellow listener, Alan Bergen, uh, who on Instagram is at the.cornish.dentist. Fantastic uh, profile with lots of great cases. Please follow Alan. He messaged me to say that actually you can also use it to heat your mirrors on there. So while the mirror is still in your pouch, you keep it on the heater at about, you know, 60 degrees, 55, 60 degrees. uh, And then once you're ready to take your occlusal photographs or your buckle photographs, the mirror is not going to steam anymore, which is great because usually what I used to do before Alan gave me this tip was I'd be uh, warming up the the mirror in hot water, then it's wet, you have to dry it, or my nursery blowing air while I'm taking the photos. And this worked a charm. So Alan, thanks so much for that tip. And guys, you can start doing that now. Just keep it in its pouch. You don't need to uh, remove it from its pouch uh, and the temperature is not an issue at all. It doesn't get too hot. So thank you so much, Alan for contributing. I'm also getting a lot of good vibes about the custom screen that I shared in episode 18. So a lot of you guys have downloaded that and started using the custom screen and I'm getting some feedback for it, which is great. Now, one of my listeners, and it's a great thing about this podcast because in a way, uh, it's self-selecting. And what I mean by that is, you know that phrase that um, you deserve the patience that you get and sort of the patience that you attract over your working career as a dentist, they're sort of reflective of you. So I feel the kind of people that are bothering to sort of log on to listen to my ramblings uh, during their commute or in you know at home or whenever you wherever you listen to my uh, podcast, you guys are some of the most passionate and 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 sort of um, crazy geeky people there are, which is which is totally cool. And through my podcast, I've made so many new friends and I've met so many cool people and I've been speaking on either Facebook or WhatsApp with all these lovely and Instagram and all the people who I never really had met before. And it's it's been just been fantastic so one of those people is Richard McKindo and so what Richard did he downloaded he downloaded the custom screen and he added the bit I told you that was lacking the goals bit so thank you so much Richard for doing that it's really really kind of you and uh, he's happy for me to share that with everyone so I'll be sticking that on so which leads me very nicely to my protrusive dental pearl for this episode the pearl for this episode is that I am going to set up a Facebook group and already the first thing you're thinking is, oh my God, not another dental group. Okay, like, just hear me out a second. Hear me out. I'm going to make another group within my postcard podcast page. So it'd be like the protrusive dental community, if you like, right? And the reason I'm doing that is because in some of the bigger groups with like, you know, 10, 15,000 people, we get all sorts of people, right? You know, anyone, any dentist can join that. The idea of starting this this uh, this sort of group is I'm only going to be telling the people who listen to my podcast or on my Instagram about this group and I'm not going to invite anyone at all you guys have to do, uh, do the hard work to find it on Facebook and join it itself uh, I'll put the link on my Instagram I suppose or on my uh, blog but otherwise I'm not going to be sort of broadcasting on the dental group so the reason that's important is because the group itself is self-selecting now I know some dentists some young dentists particularly who've been shot down before for posting something that you know, I mean, there's no such thing as a stupid question, and, and that's the way it should be. But sometimes when 
people in the past have posted something in, in, in good nature, then they've been shot down, have had nasty comments, and they're sort of afraid to post in these dental groups anymore. So the reason I'm starting this protrusive dental community is basically so I can share all these files with you so you don't have to keep going on Google Drive and stuff. So I'm going to make it like a, a, a group where we can, you know, people like Richard, who, who, who very kindly shared the modified version of the custom screen, can now put put it on the group and I can put some files on the group so it's easy for everyone to sort of download things and we can anyone can totally post cases if they want uh, and I'm going to try and get some good people that I know as, as mentors on, on, on the Facebook group if they, if they want to be particularly people who've been on the podcast before so that's what I'm that's the reason I'm doing it so even if only 10 people join it's totally worth it for me it's, a, it's an area where I'm going to be just sticking on the files that I may mention on here any templates PDF downloads, you know, things like that. So it's it's, it's more of a, a group, a community, so that anyone else can post. So on the page, it's usually me who can post, but with a group, it can get all of my listeners involved. So like I said, it's self-selecting. I'm making it like a, a safe environment where you'll be posting or you'll be reading content of people who are listeners to the podcast, just like you are, so that it's, I'm hoping it's going to be like a non-toxic, if it can be non-threatening sort of environment. So that's why I'm doing that. And that's my pearl. Please, if you, if you, if you like the sort of stuff I'm sharing, join Join the Protrusive Dental Community Facebook group. You'll probably find it within my page. Uh, and then that way you can download all the things I always talk about and then things that other my, my, my listeners sort of improve for me or share back with me and they're happy for me to stick it on the group uh, and a lot of times people are sending me really helpful pdfs and they're like oh jazz i listened to that bit and here's what i think and here's here's this paper i'm sending you that will help you and, and that's been amazing so i want to share that with everyone so my pearl is please join that group and i'm hoping that through there i can be posting a lot more valuable stuff that you can download right enough of my ramblings let's join jason smithson emacs onlays verdi preps let's go Thank you so much for coming on Protrusive Dental Podcast. Uh, I've been mean to have you on as a guest for ages. So thanks Thank for you. coming on. Thank you very um, much. You have had a, such a huge influence uh, on my clinical philosophies, my protocols. Uh, all of the things I've learned about resin uh, you know, stem from, from your teachings. For example, um, daily composite flow. I'm still using a probe and a microbrush, as you taught me. Um, I went <laughs> on your blushing, course. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm being deadly serious. What, what you offer on, not just on social media, but through your teachings courses, but if you just hone in on uh, your Facebook post that you, that you do with all your lovely cases, I think every one of them have such great learning points. So I know loads of dentists who, who gain so much value from your posts. Uh, I've learned heaps and heaps and heaps from, from you. And also you, you, you've got the time to comment and reply to people and answer questions. So, so that's amazing. My laptop almost fell there. <laughs> <laughs> that would not be good. <laughs> that would not be good at all. So uh, it, that's why I'm so happy to have you on because I think you, you, you have so much to, to offer and share. Um, in terms of previously how I've done it is I, I usually... I usually introduce the guests a little bit. I do like a crappy okay. introduction myself, but I let, I let you add in. But, you know, if you don't know Jason Smithson, then you've been living under a rock. He's, um, uh, I'm going to make you blush a bit more. Honestly, he's one of the rock stars of, of, of dentistry in the world. He's famous for lots of things. Great <laughs> <laughs> He's famous for lots of things, including the photo. Every time he goes in an international course or something, he's got his uh, shoes, fancy shoes always up in a train station, legs up. So uh, that's one of the things he's famous for. So Jason Smithson is um, a massive inspiration to me. Jason, anything you want to add to that? 
Not really. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just go in. I want to I give the, the listeners a lot of value because we have a limited uh, time with you. Um, I was taught Emacs onlays by you. I hadn't placed, uh, hadn't placed a single Emacs onlay. Um, and to be fair, I, I, I was doing NS Chess style non-precious uh, onlays back so many years ago. But when I came yes. on your course uh, a few years ago, I think it was in... Where was it? Was it Wakefield? Or Wakefield, was it? yeah, with Prem. That's it, with Prem. lunch, Prem if you remember. Uh, I, that was the <laughs> yeah. first thing. I always think of lunch when I think of Prem, yeah, yeah. amongst other things. So, uh, yeah. Also, Jaeger bombs, I think of when, yeah. when I think of Prem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that's when I learned about uh, Emacs Onlays from you. And uh, honestly, your protocols, I use them daily. Uh, so that's great. So let's just uh, talk about, do you think Emacs Onlays uh, are an overutilized restoration? I think, I was thinking about this earlier actually, I think it's overutilized and underutilized. Mm. And it yeah, really depends where you're coming from. We, we see, when we look on social media particularly, because that's nowadays where we look at dentistry, we don't, most of us don't look at journals anymore. Um, you tend to see quite a lot of onlays done where perhaps maybe you ought to be thinking of doing cramps. And that comes from the new minimally invasive concept and perhaps sometimes we're a little bit too minimally invasive. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also see direct resins done um, where really they should have onlays. And I think the main reason for that is, is really money and perhaps to some degree a little bit inexperience. Um, so my answer to your question is yes and no. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I totally agree. And I remember a few years ago, I went through this phase. Maybe I was, you know, when you go into course and you just want to do that technique. So yeah, maybe yeah, after yeah. your course, I, I may have gone through a period of over-utilizing Emacs onlays, some things maybe. that should have been uh, full crowns. I think mm -hmm. I was doing uh, Emacs onlays for. So, um, I, I mean, another way of saying it is that in too many situations, I was having to do deep margin elevation. And when, yeah, when, when yeah. that sort of sentence comes along, then you know you, you may be overutilizing it. So before we come on to teach our listeners or educate them about what deep margin elevation is, and you'll do a much, more jab, a much better job of that than I will do, we'll just talk about uh, just the indications in your books, what percentage of <coughs> your posterior indirect work is lithium disilicate onlays, um, as, a, as, a, you know, as a sweeping statement, I guess. Uh, and... Um, what are your, so what's the ideal tooth to, to, to require an Emacs onlay in your books versus at what point does that switch to a different type of restoration, a crown, a full crown, veneer crown? Yeah. So, I mean, we all learn at university the restorative cascade. So obviously we've got direct resin or amalgam maybe, and then we've got an onlay and then we've got a crown. Um, when do you switch from doing a direct, on, doing a direct resin to a ceramic onlay? Well, really, when you've lost maybe a couple of marginal ridges, because the marginal ridges hold the tooth together, a little bit like the rings on a barrel. Um, we call that the peripheral rim theory. Basically, the, the enamel around the periphery of the tooth, the mesonderstall marginal ridge, acts like the rings on a barrel, and it stops the cusp from spreading out um, when you load it, when you bite on it. When you lose that, the cusp spread more, and you're more likely to fracture it. The other thing to take on board is the amount of dentine underneath the cusps. So what we do is we measure the thickness of the cusp. In other words, we take out the existing restoration, remove the caries, and then we use some calipers, something like a, a, an Evanson gorge would be good, sort of thing you might measure crown thicknesses with, yep, and absolutely. just measure at the base of the cavity to the outside of the tooth. And what we're looking for is a thickness of three millimeters or more. 
So it is, there's a bit more to it, but as a basic, um, after two slots to mar two marginal ridges and the cusp spaces are three millimeters or less, then you should be thinking of doing an onlay. Just, just on that point, uh, Jason, because I've seen some photos on social media where uh, dentists have uh, removed the restoration, removed the caries, and then they're getting their once and gauge out and they're measuring the, the cusp thickness, yeah. but they might, they might be measuring the wrong part of the tooth. So you've, you've made, measured a good point there. Mm -hmm. you know, you're measuring the, the base of the cavity, whereas some, yep. some people are measuring you know, the, the, higher, uh, you know, the actual coronal part where it might be one and a half millimeters, but that's supported by that mm -hmm. three millimeters base. So is that a point worth exploring? It is, it is really the base of the cavity, but it, it only, it's only really important when you go beyond kind of half the depth of the crown of the tooth. Mm -hmm. Do you follow me? Because yep, if, yep. You've got a, if you've got a quite a shallow cavity, maybe a millimeter and a half depth, you're only just breaching, maybe one, two millimeters deep, and you're barely breaching into dentine, and you've got thin cusps, you may not need to do an onlay in that case. Because of the height of the, the mm. height of the residual cusp comes into into action as well, yeah. So okay. it's not the it's basically a whole day lecture on biomechanics to cover all that. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. There we go. <laughs> Fine. So, so you decided, okay. So you've got like an MOD situation, and your uh, cusp is looking a bit thin, and you've measured yep. it. That at that point, you're looking to go for the onlay. But then, what makes an onlay into the crown uh, is what I'd like yeah. to touch on next. Yes, so um, an onlay is retained conventionally um, with a gold onlay. We have our retention form, which is uh, parallel walls or near parallel walls, 620 degree taper. Um, potholes, maybe, maybe grooves. Um, something like Semenza may show on, you may have seen on Facebook, is a very, yeah. very obvious retentive features. And that's because those restorations don't, are not adhesive. Um, nowadays, uh, with adhesive restoration, ceramic onlays, we use etched enamel as a retentive feature. So what we're looking for is to have a decent amount of good quality enamel to bond to. So um, what we don't want to do, and what I see quite commonly on, on Facebook, for example, is people doing an onlay when they have a mesial cavity that's on dentine, a distal cavity that's on dentine and then a class five, so perhaps about 270 mm -hmm. degrees at the margin is dentine. That's mm -hmm. probably not a very good risk for, for a, an onlay. What we're looking for is a decent thickness. There's no research to tell us what the decent thickness is, but a decent thickness of good quality enamel. And if you don't have that, then maybe you should think about doing a crown and using standard retention resistance formula, parallel walls and taper to, to retain that. So that's, that's your decision-making process, really. When I was younger, as you kind of alluded to, maybe about, oh, about 10 years ago, I was doing onlays on everything and saving everything. And what I found was if, if you don't have a reasonable amount of enamel, there's no data on that, but perhaps about 270 degrees of the tooth is enamel. Um, they come off at about three or four year, year um, daily line. Um, so for that reason, we we do crowns in those. You can still bond it, but, but yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a crown. Fine, and uh, I've got two, question, uh, two questions based on that then. Uh, what, I mean, is, is deep margin elevation something that you're doing a lot of nowadays in terms of your uh, posterior restorations, or, or, or is, that, is that something that you really are doing on, on rare occasions 
but it's good to have like a trick up your sleeve. <laughs> Uh, and, and you can also explain about DME to, to our listeners as well. Okay, so uh, DME is, um, well, it's kind of heresy, really. I mean, when I, when, I, when I trained, we, which was late 80s, early 90s, we were sort of taught to finish on sound dentine or sound enamel. And if you didn't finish on sound dentine or sound enamel, it's, it's a problem. So nowadays, with an adhesive restoration, what you can do is... It, particularly in the mesial distal box, you can fill the mesial distal box in, in a conventional way with, with direct resin, and then you finish your ceramic margin on that direct resin, and that's called gingival margin elevation, or nowadays deep margin elevation. Um, I do it quite a lot, but I do quite a lot of onlays, so, but as a percentage of the onlay, of the onlays I do, I, I, I wouldn't say I do it a massive amount because often if you've lost a lot of enamel for the reasons I discussed earlier, you're probably going to do a crown. Mm. So, yeah, um, I think again, it's probably overutilized. The other problem with it is um, the idea of deep margin elevation is to elevate the margin out of the sulcus. So what you're doing is you're dealing with a tooth that has usually mesial or distal caries in the mesial distal box within the sulcus, but it isn't breaching the epithelium and it isn't breaching the connective tissue. Mm. So you do the margin elevation to raise your margin supragingively. Yeah. And the reason why you do that is because when you come back to the patient for cementation, maybe a couple of weeks later, I don't know, two, three weeks later, you can isolate more easily with rubber damp because yeah. the margin is supragingeable. And that's the advantage of, of, of doing the gingival margin or deep margin elevation. However, nowadays, quite a lot of people are using the margin elevation um, to deal with uh, biologic width invasion. In other words, you've got caries, which is which has breached the epithelium or is in the connective tissue. Um, and I don't think that's good medicine, really. Really, those cases need need to have uh, surgery or something like that for extraction. Okay. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because the next question I was going to ask, ask you is, in order to do um, deep margin elevation, um, what tissue management do you do? But I think what you've alluded to in that sentence is that actually if you're having to do a lot of gingivectomy that in that case probably yeah. uh, that's not the right case would you agree with that well i i usually end up using I, i'm a bit old school i still use electrosurge but you usually have to do a tiny bit of electrosurge just to get the band on and usually if the patients had caries within the sulcus they've usually got some degree of gingivitis in that area anyway so often there's a little bit of bleeding so we do a little bit of electrosurgery usually just for hemostasis 
But if you're finding you're cutting with the electric, you know, when you cut with the electric surgeon, it's all going black and you're just suddenly finding the bone, that's probably a tooth that needs to go in the bucket or be crown lengthened, one or the other. Right, let's hold that thought for when we talk about vertipreps later. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll come on to that. Uh, so the next thing I want to ask you is about uh, immediate dental, dentine sealing. If you can describe that for, for listeners, uh, what IDS is uh, and do you still, I mean, I, I know you taught it on your course a few years ago. Yeah. Has, has there been any advancements in the literature to suggest that actually it's not so much worth doing or what, what, what are your thoughts on this? Um, well, IDS for immediate dentine sealing, basically, classically, when you do a, a ceramic prep, you would prep the tooth and then impress the tooth and then send the impression away for um, lab work. Then the lab work would come back, you would hybridize the dentine, so you would etch, prime, and bond the dentine. And then you would cement the onlay or crown with a veneer cement or heat to composite one or the other. Immediate dentine seal is slightly different. What you do is you prep the tooth and then you etch, prime, and bond the tooth prior to taking the impression. And then you take the impression of the prep tooth, which has been etched, primed, and bonded. Get the onlay fabricated or crown, and then the crown onlay comes back and you cement it there. It does offer some, some, some advantages, higher bond strengths. Um, sealing of the dentinal tubules, so you get less sensitivity, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Um, et et so yes, I. It's it's kind of funny because I do it all the time when I do my onlays because commonly when I do my onlays um, I block out all the undercuts anyway, so mm-hmm. I have to etch prime and bond. So I kind of do it. Yeah, um, makes sense. When I do my crowns, most of my crowns are vertical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I cement them conventionally with resin modified glass on them. So I don't bother with immediate dentine sealing. And I also don't bother with them anymore with veneers because most of my veneers are now mainly in enamel. So there's no point by definition, immediate dentine sealing, there's no dentine. So Okay, so an Emax on lays you are, obviously, because it makes sense because you're, when you're blocking the undercuts with resin, it just makes sense. When most other cases, you going to do it anyway. Yeah, 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 ex- yeah exactly. make, that makes absolute sense. Uh, yeah. What I think you've touched on this already, but are there any common mistakes that you see dentists make either with immediate dentine sealing or with Emacs onlays in terms of case selection or execution? Uh, I think case selection we've talked about quite a bit. I'm, I'm not a massive fan of the flat onlay preparation. Mm. Um, I like to see, I used to do those again uh, a while ago. Um, but there is a concept called form spares the bond, which means that if you give a little bit of a resistance form, if you cut into box form, um, a little bit of a different height in the preparation, um, you get more resistance form. And when, the to- when you bite on the tooth, it stops the onlay from twisting on the tooth and it reduces the amount of stress the bond is under. Therefore, the onlay tends to stay on better. Yep, that's that's certainly what you taught me at your course, and that's why I've been uh, doing. And I've, Nothing new. You know, it's, 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 it's just more for the benefit of the listeners. But when when I yeah you know, place the uh, onlay on, it's nice to have that resistance form that it's not going to be twisting around. It's got that positive seat. Uh, yeah, it might not have some retention because it's going to be getting the retention from the the resin cement. But it's it's nice mm-hmm. to have that resistance form. So uh, I'm uh, yeah I'm a believer in that. And in terms of thickness, what you taught me at the course was. 
two millimeters thickness of um, lithium disilicate. Are you yep. still following that? And how about in cases where you may, for example, if you are increasing the vertical dimension uh, and you are able to add uh, additively, uh, yep. you know, posteriorly, can you go down to a millimeter if you're, let's say, bonding to virgin or near virgin enamel? Yes, is the answer for that. Um, I think the guidelines are somewhere about 1.8. We do two because two is near enough. Um, basically, um, if you've got a tooth that is pretty much intact, in other words, it hasn't got an MOD cavity, um, and the enamel uh, covering the tooth is remaining, which you might get in quite rare cases, usually wear cases or erosive wear cases would be quite common. So the patient has a virgin tooth, um, which may have some enamel wear, but the majority of the enamel is left. The enamel covering the tooth gives the tooth some rigidity because enamel is a rigid material. So when you bite on that tooth, it doesn't bend and flex so much. In comparison, if you have a tooth that has an MOD cavity, when you bite on it, because it's lost that peripheral rim, which I talked about right at the beginning, the tooth bends and flexes more. Now, because with a tooth that um, has all the enamel remaining isn't bending and flexing so much, you can, you can put onto that a thinner onlay because the onlay is better supported. It's a little bit like laying paving slabs onto hardcore rather than onto sand. If you lay it onto hardcore, which is a firmer base, then it's much less likely to crack. If you put it on sand, it's more likely to crack. So if you, if, those, if you have in those unusual cases all the enamel remaining, you can actually go down to a millimeter on the cusps and 0.7 in the fissures. So the research is by Matthias Kern in Germany. All right. So there you go. So you, you can open the vertical with less distance. Some people now go down to 0.3. And I think it's possible, um, but it's hazardous. I think if you stick around one, it's for the, for the average GP, it's safer. And uh, anteriorly, obviously, that's completely different to Emacs onlays and whatnot. Anteriorly for veneers, is mm-hmm. that where you can go contact lens thin, quite thin anteriorily? Or is that, is that are, 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 are we, should we still be using <coughs> lithium disilicate, disilicate in those cases if we're going ultra thin? Uh, to be honest, if we, if we go ultra, ultra thin, I go stack feldspathic veneers um, mm-hmm. because there's no uh, substructure in it, so you get a better aesthetic. But if you go below 0.3, you tend to get fractures. My, my findings were I got quite a few fractures in the box when they've been sent to me, and then quite a few fractures on the seating, and then quite a few fractures after seating at the 24-48 hour period. I think if you can push them up to 0.5, it's a lot safer and you just make your life much easier. I mean, 0.3, 0.5 is not a huge difference. Um, But there's a massive difference in in, in predictability just by jumping that 0.2 millimetres. Brilliant. Um, One more thing that you taught me, which I think a lot of dentists may not appreciate or know about was, uh, and something I started to request on my lab docket was exactly which um, 
Which ingot? Which, uh, which, yeah, which, uh, which ingot of uh, lithium disilicate to, to use? So, you know, you taught me about uh, H-O-M-O-M-T-L-T, so, you know, low translucency, medium translucency. So, uh, do, do you mind just doing um, a quick recommendation for most of your uh, posterior onlays? Which ingot would you recommend in which scenarios? Okay, so this, uh, here we're talking um, about Emacs, which is an Ivoclar product, which is what most people do whether they use whether they realize it or not mm -hmm. and it comes in varying translucencies um ht high translucency being the most translucent and uh ho high opacity being the most uh, least translucent so um you would tend to use the ht when you're um replacing enamel yeah so that would be a good solution for a very thin veneer. There are some other ingots which may be a, a good option for that as well. Um, most people, whether they realize it or not, uh, tend to get the LT, which is the next one up, low yeah. translucency. The reason is, is because it's easier to use in the lab. So the lab technician, if the dentist doesn't ask for a certain ingot, that's probably the one they're gonna get. Um, <clears throat> the HO is used where you need a really high opacity situation where you've got uh, maybe a discolored core, maybe a metal post, or maybe an implant mm -hmm. um, to block out discoloration. But I don't tend to use that very much because I tend to do full crowns. When I do full crowns, I do zirconium. So yeah. I, I, I don't tend to use Emacs in, in that situation. Um, the other ingot, the medium opacity, which is kind of in the middle, um, we use um, when um, we're doing Emacs crowns, and this might be a situation where you're doing crowns on the teeth, but you can bond them. In other words, there's an enamel margin. So we may do Emacs crowns and bond them, but some people may have noticed Emacs can look good in the mouth, and then when you photograph, it looks great. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. Occasionally. Mm. Um, and that's not a problem with the material. It's actually a problem with material selection. So if you use the LT ingot, it's a little bit more translucent. So if you make the whole crown with an LT ingot, it tends to look gray. Whereas if you make the whole, well, part of a crown with the MO ingot, which is mm. less translucent, more opaque, and then layer over it, you don't get that grain. So it's just a little tip if you're doing full crowns. Not, mm. not always for um, veneers, although sometimes we do veneers with MO as well. If you've got somebody who's it's got discoloration, tetracycline maybe, or one discolored non-vital tooth, um, or they want a particularly bright kind of Hollywood smile. That might be a good indication to use the MO. See, that's important because when I do speak to dentists uh, and they're, uh, in a, you know, we're discussing about oh, which prescription of, of you know lithium disilicate they can go for, uh, they don't really appreciate these ingots know. and that's something yeah. that uh, was unique about your course that you went through in good detail about that so um, it's actually on the uh, on the Ivoclar website if you have a look There's Jason we all know no one has time to read <laughs> nowadays this is why we need you <laughs> <laughs> it's not on Facebook though I think it's on Ivoclar yeah if it's, if, if it's not on Facebook it, you know it's not going to get absorbed no so, <laughs> so uh, awesome we've covered Emacs on lace now to get to the the sort of um the sort of the, the, the main fashion trend of the last couple of years, uh, which is uh, vertical preparations, vertipreps. Uh -huh. and, I, and I love that uh, title of your course. I think I saw it. It was uh, vertical preparation. Uh, it was old tricks for new dogs. 
Yeah, because yeah. it's not new. Yeah, um, absolutely. And when I read into it, I was like, holy, holy crap, you know, this has been like from the 70s, right? Earlier, yeah. Earlier, yeah. okay, cool. Way, way, you know, it's, it's all very fashionable now, but guys, particularly in Italy, have been doing it since the yeah, 70s, definitely, and maybe the 60s. <clears throat> Um, so really nothing new, um, yeah, new well, when, when I, yeah, yeah. Well, when yeah. I saw, when I saw it first on Facebook and let's be honest, that's, that's where I saw it first. Um, and then I went on to read the, the, the paper by Loy, which, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people who will see it on Facebook, they won't then actually go search for literature, but I thought, no, no, I've got to read up more about this. So I went to read, read the Loy papers. That's a very good paper though. It's, very it's good a brilliant paper. paper. And in yeah. fact, for, uh, I'll put the link on my uh, blog page for, for the Loy paper for those who want to read it. Um, so that'd be a good thing to do. I'll write a reminder. Uh, so you mentioned that most of the crowns that you're placing nowadays are vertical. Was that, were you also doing that 10 years ago, five years ago? Is this a shift that you've made as well? Uh, mm. you know, and, and, and why have you made that shift? And now let's talk about, can you educate? Because you know, a lot of people, every time you see verti- vertical preparations or vertical crowns being posted on Facebook, it's still something new that we don't get taught at dental school. So yeah. people are like, what is this doctor? Is it going to work? Is it going to fracture? Question mark, question mark. What the hell is a vertical prep? So let's just get into that. Well, it's nothing... Um it's nothing new, really. It's just a knife-edge margin, really. So um, it's actually the oldest form of margin because historically we didn't have very good hand pieces, we didn't have very good burrs, so we cut knife edges because we're dense and we're lazy and it was easier. And then when the turbine came around in the 70s and then we got good quality diamond burrs, we started to cut chamfer margins because it's easier to cut a chamfer margin and get a good aesthetic. Um, and so the knife edge died out because you couldn't get a good, a good aesthetic with a ceramic margin on a knife edge because it broke. Yep. Um, however, nowadays we've got zirconia, so you can finish zirconia down to a very thin margin, 0.3 millimeters, mm-hmm. and it still has the tensional strength to cope with that. So nowadays we can do uh, a good quality durable margin with zirconia and actually there's quite a bit of research that shows you can do it with Emacs as well although mm-hmm. I, I personally wouldn't do it with Emacs because zirconia is a little bit stronger um, and I'm going to I'm going to cement it anyway I'm not going to bond it so I don't really yeah, see yeah because you're so gingival yeah yeah exactly um, so you know it's kind of just been reinvented but the thing that people are getting involved in now that's slightly different is historically we just used to spin a burr um, round the tooth. There's a paper by Ingraham, which you may know on, on mm-hmm. a technique ginger tage. So yep. you take the burr around the tooth and the tip of the burr would trough the sulcus as well. And then you impress that day. Whereas Loy's paper uh, you, that you've read talks about how to condition the tissues. Mm-hmm. So over usually a 40 day period, um, so you can take an impression um, at 40 days with really decent quality tissues. So I do uh, quite a lot of vertical in my practice, really because my patient base is quite old. Um, and those patients in their 70s, 80s, have got crowns that were placed maybe in the 1980s, 1990s, quite deep subgingival, quite broken down teeth. So I do the vertical because it helps me recover the margin and also it's more conservative. Brilliant. Can you talk a bit about um, how you recover? Uh, so you've got a, a, an old crown that you're dismantling, which had a shoulder. How do yeah. you, uh, what's your protocol in converting that 
uh, now old cram prep into a uh, vertiprep? Yes, so what we do is it, it, it's not always possible because if, if it's really deep into the sulcus and it's quite heavy, heavy chamfer or heavy shoulder, you, you can't do this. But rather, when I first trained, we, we'd start off with a crown with a prep margin and just make the margin a bit bigger, basically, or a bit deeper. <laughs> That's quite destructive. So nowadays, we do the exact opposite. What we do is take the old crown off, clean it up, maybe aerobrade it, and then etch prime and bond, place regular composite, and then just prep onto the composite. Um, with vertical, I will finish the margin on dentine. Mm -hmm. um, but often there's quite a bit of core in the tooth, um, and that's not really a problem. Brilliant. The, the biggest issue I've had with the uh, vert vertiprep uh, when, I, when I'm doing it is um, initially as a learning curve, and this is what I want to get to, is uh, training your technician. Because a lot of technicians are uncomfortable. So the technician I now work with in Oxford, I've sort of had to um, encourage him and, and send him the Lloyd's paper and uh, you know some health and diagrams and what we're trying to achieve here. Uh, and he's, he's done really well. But the initial issue I had was that there was friction in seating these crowns, right? Mm -hmm. So then, uh, <laughs> Jason, I read this on Facebook. Look, I'm so sorry. But uh, then I read that actually the spacer should be placed cervically. Uh -huh. Is that the best way to do it? I mean, because I think that's, that's against the principles of what we're taught, right? You know, you want a less spacer, spikely, you want a nice tight seal. So, so how do you train your technician to overcome the issue of uh, um, sort of friction so that, that would prevent your crown from fully seating? Uh, and uh, what is the role in uh, die spacer in this, if any? I think the first thing that will happen when you send the impression to the technician and they pour it, they'll immediately call you and say, I can't see a margin. That's the first thing they do. Um, and your answer should be, well, no, and that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. And then you say, to, then the technician will say to you, so where shall I put the margin? And you say to them, you decide. And that's like a whole different <laughs> ball game for a technician because historically with a linear margin or a horizontal margin, we've, as dentists, have prepped a chamfer or a shoulder or a shoulder with a chamfer or whatever, and we've defined where the margin wants to go. Um, and the technician has followed our direction. Whereas with vertical, within limits, the, the, the technician can choose exactly where they want to put it to get the optimal aesthetic outcome. And that's a bit of a game changer for a lot of technicians because commonly, um, particularly with things like, for example, a diastema closure um, or, or, or a discolored tooth perhaps, the technician with, with a standard chamfer margin, the technician may call you and say, actually, the margin's not really deep enough. I can't get a good mm -hmm. emergence profile. Emergence profile. I, can't, I can't master discoloration. Whereas with vertical, they can just make it a bit deeper if they want. Obviously, you haven't got to make it so deep that you get a biological width invasion. Mm -hmm. um, but it gives, it gives the technician a lot, of, a lot of flexibility. So often, the, the interesting thing is, you would imagine most technicians will be thrilled with that to be given the choice of where to put the margin. But actually, quite a lot of them aren't. They find it quite challenging because you're just throwing the ball into their court and they're not used to that. So you kind of have to, we, we uh, the technicians I work with, we, we choose between us where we're going to put the margin. Um, 
And it's to give us the optimal aesthetics, but without invading the tissues, mm-hmm. usually about a maximum of 0.5 millimeters into the sulcus. Um, but maybe palatally, it might be equigingival, um, mm-hmm. just because it's better, better for the tissues. Yep. Something you did touch on, which is a common error and a common mistake, is technicians will then finish the margin down to a knife edge on okay. the ceramic. Yeah. And that, that's when they break. I had a, my mother, I did one of my first vertical crowns on uh, about seven, eight years ago. And it was not a right first molar. And she had an endo problem. And the guy called Bill, Bill Seddon up in Chesterfield, who's a good endodontist, did her endo. And I, I think he spent about three or four visits doing this endo. Made a really nice job of the endo and it all settled down. And then I decided I was going to do a vertical crown on it, or vertical crown prep. And I didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest. And I got my technician to finish the margin down to a knife edge. And she came in, tried it in, looked good, fitted well, good contacts, nice closed scheme. I then fitted it, and because I didn't space it well, and the hydrostatic pressure gave a big half moon fracture on the palatal. Bang. Like immediately, then and there? Immediately. So I seated it with my thumb. Yeah. I immediately hear it gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh shit, i to get this out. So I'm trying to get this out with the yeah, GC yeah. crown forceps not going anywhere. Um, so there it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but re- the reality is, what you should do is have about a 45 degree angle emergence profile on the crown, a little bit like you might see on an implant crown. Mm-hmm. And that technicians find, well, a lot of dentists actually are quite uncomfortable with that. And certainly a lot of technicians are, you know, when I first started doing it, the, t- the technician would be saying, well, shall I just finish it right down? So it's, so it's really nice and flush. And the answer is no, the tissue the tissue reacts quite well to a 0.3 millimeter margin um, with a 45 degree emergence profile that's a maximum of 0.5 millimeters into the sulcus. There's, there's not a problem with that. And because you've got that 45 degree emergence profile, you, you get a degree of strength. So that's something you need to teach your technicians. That, that's something I, I definitely teach my, teach my technician. You've made me both very happy to learn that, but also very, very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. It's, uh, that, that's just life. It happens on your mother or you're guaranteed if you treat a relative, you're going to get a problem yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's a fantastic tip to um, get train your technician to have that forty-five degree bevel. Uh, so, what about the overcoming the friction? Because obviously, uh, by, by 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 the nature of these vertical preparations, they're they're going to be very uh, tall, and the, the taper is to your control. So um, they're very vertical in nature. So there, there's lots of friction. How can mm-hmm. I overcome that? I think that a lot of the preps we see are under tapered. Mm. I think I think that's a problem, um, and I also think um, actually it's not so much um, the fit because to be honest, um, we talk a lot about die spacing, but let's be honest, most of them are zirconia and they're milled, mm. so they're not going to fit perfectly anyway. A lot of the problem uh, you see, and I, I see this on cases people show, particularly when they show the model work, is they take the margin into the undercut. 
mm-hmm. in the sulcus, and not many people discuss this. But if you're not careful, you can scan into the undercut, and you can you can you can have, what, even if you impress the technician, is going to make a model and scan it. Yep. And then you're going to mill into the undercut, and then when you seat it. It's not going to see it, yeah, yeah. It's not going to see it, and that's a common problem. And not many people will take the time. What we do is before we trim the dye, either digitally or, or analog, we mark a line at the level of the tissue, and then we trim the dye, and then we mark another line at the maximum apical extent of the impression, bottom of the sulcus, give or take. And obviously, if we go above the line, uh, above the, the uh, <coughs> uh, gingival margin, it's going to be, you're going to have a visible margin. So mm-hmm. you want to go below that. And obviously, if you go below the line, at the bottom of the sulcus, you're going to have a biologic width invasion. So you want to be above that. So you've got this kind of sweet spot between the two lines. But unless you mark those lines before you trim the dye, yeah. you're going to have a problem. There's also a problem. It's very difficult, actually, to prepare some teeth, particularly premolars, upper fours uh-huh. and upper sixes, into the fication on the mesial of the upper four. Yeah. Yeah. And often on the distal of the upper six, mm-hmm. it's quite difficult to prep into there without getting some degree of undercut. So sometimes yep. you have to accept that you're going to be slightly supergingival there or you're going to destroy a lot of tooth. And that's, I think, a lot of the time, you know, the technician will try to tuck it in to try and get a better aesthetic, and that's when they don't see. I don't yeah, think, I think, the, I think the dye space is a bit of a red herring sometimes mm-hmm. because, because they're milled. Yeah. And, and whatever people tell you, the milling process is, is quite accurate, but not, it's not as accurate as the PFMs we used to do. Um, mm-hmm. So I, th- I think it's more margin position than die spacing, to be quite honest. Okay, so margin position and uh, taper is, is the main take-on point of that. The taper, yeah. If you look at, um, well, there's a lot of research on taper. I mean, Goodacre's the classic research on taper, and they talk about somewhere between a, a, a 6 and 20-degree taper. I would suggest a 20-degree taper for a zirconia crown is probably a good idea. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have a reasonable amount of taper or top TOC, um, mm. you can't seat it because of the hydrostatic pressure yep, yep. of the cement. Um, so for that reason, we, I would tend to taper a zirconia crown for vertical a little bit more than I would taper, for example, a PFM crown. PFM, yep. Yeah, I would tend towards the maybe 6 to 10 degree taper for PFM personally but maybe more like 20 for the zirconia on vertical. Okay, yep, that makes uh, perfect sense. And yep, I, I am also thankfully following that as well, which is good. Yeah. Um, it's always, whenever you say something and I'm doing it, I'm like so happy inside. Uh, so that, that, that's, uh, that's good. Uh, can you give us some tips on temporization uh, of vertical preparation? So the, the issue is that, yes, it's so thin, um, mm-hmm. you know, at the margin uh, area that, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm making a temporary, it can fracture. So what I'm doing actually is before I'm prepping, sometimes I'm adding a little bit of flowable to a tooth to beef it up. 
Uh, yeah. And then in the in my index, I've got a thicker sort of uh, temporary crown coming. Is that a good way? Is there a better way? It's a really good way. No, no. If you just use some flowable and um, I, I don't like to mention brands, but something like GC Universal Flow would be good because it's a bit heavier flowable, a bit yep. thicker, if you will. Um, you just go around the margin and then when you take your PBS putty wash um, for, for your temp, that will work better. Something we also use is uh, for upper four to four particularly, I use those 3M ion crowns, which are the preformed plastic okay. crowns. Yeah, yeah. Um, like shell crowns. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you've got the cost involved in buying those, but actually it's a lot faster anyway. It's a faster procedure with one of those. You've got a lot less work to do in finishing them and mucking around with them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we do that. Another thing we do is um, if I'm doing multiple units, I just get lab temps. But yep. we, get shell, we get shell temps made. So uh, there's a paper by a guy called Greg Kinzer from the Spear Institute, K-I-N-Z-E-R. It's called the eggshell temporary technique. So what we do is we, um, we take a patient, an impression of the patient's teeth beforehand and we get a diagnostic wax up done. Um, that's process. This is done digitally now. Um, then uh, we take a, a stent of that, potty stent of that, and then the teeth are prepped. And then we fill the stent with some uh, acrylic okay. and then we seat, seat it over the prepped teeth on the model to do this, the teeth need to be minimally prepped. Yep. And like to polymerize, take it off, and then thin out the inside of the, egg, of the crowns till they're eggshell thin, hence mm -hmm. eggshell crown. Um, and then we take that to the patient, prep their teeth, and you can just fill that with um, snap or trim or something like that. Um, and it's but actually not, not It has to be acrylic, not bisacryl. Um, it could be bisacryl, but the problem with bisacryl is a snap set. So when you fill it with that, and sometimes if you're not on your toes, you'll have trouble getting it out. Okay. And uh, the other problem is it, it doesn't trim so well. So when you trim the margin, it's quite tricky to do the margin. It yep. tends to chip. So yeah, not bisacryl generally. I just use snap or trim, something quite old fashioned really. Nope. That, that works that makes well. Sense. You, you get a you get a dough stage, so you can pop it on and off. Um, particularly with multiple units, six or eight units, you want to be able to pop them on and off, so you get a good fit, but they don't lock in place. Mm -hmm. Is is it true that the um, vertical crowns that come back, the reason that they're not chipping, the reason they're not not, they're not chipping at the margin where they're so thin, is is because you need to have an adequate thickness occlusally, and it's the occlusal thickness that may impart the, the strength to the, the crown? Is it, am I making sense there? No. <laughs> okay. So it, well, it's, well, well, it's, it's the 45 degree angle okay. on the margin. That's what makes them not break. Okay. If you mm -hmm, thin them you. right down, and again, this is a Facebook problem. When you look at a lot of cases on Facebook and a lot of places done, a lot of cases done by gurus on Facebook, the margin's not correct. It's usually mm -hmm. that thinned right down. Absolutely. That, I mean, yeah. This which is, is a problem. Me, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, you need you need a thickish. If you look at lawyer's paper, there's some really nice pictures that show the emergence profile. It's like a 45 degree angle. Give or take, 30, 45 degree angle. And mm -hmm. it's quite thick. So it's almost an overhang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but it isn't. It's, it's, it's a thickness the tissue will tolerate. Fine. And then speaking of gurus, now this can be controversial a little bit. So, uh, it, it, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's got to be done, Jason. Come on. Oh, you, no, can't, no. you can't mention much. And, you know, this is, look, let's have a respectful conversation. There's a whole bat burr, there's a whole bat burr philosophy. So if anyone who's not familiar with this, there are, you know, there's a, a, a bat burr is like, like an endo Z burr, if you like diamond with a non cutting uh, edge. Uh, and, and that can, Supposedly, do your ginger targe at the same time as uh, mm-hmm. as, as prepping uh, your feather edge, if you like. Uh, whereas in Loy's paper, they use the, the is it flame shape burrs, right? The, the thin flame shape burrs. Eight six two or eight six three. We use. So tell us about. Um, obviously, I know you like the eight six two and eight six threes, but mm-hmm. do you see any issues with using? Yes. That yeah. yes. Please tell us. Well, first of all, I use the eight six two or eight six three. And there are problems with using that, right? So I'll hold in my the wrong hands, hands. In the wrong hands. <laughs> uh, and, and the problems are, um, it's, it's basically a flame diamond. And if you don't hold it at the right angle and modify the angle, you can end up gouging the root. So when, again, when I first started doing this, I was just picking up that bird, spinning around and around, and looked like a great crab. And then on some of the cases, I'd end up doing periosurgery on them. So I'd prep them, put them on temps, and then I'd do periosurgery, either resective or grafting. Um, and when I raised the flap, I was like, bloody hell, those roots look terrible. You know, loads of dings in the roots. And that's really due to poor burr angulation. Now, um, there's a group called Tomorrow Tooth on Facebook, and I'm very friendly with Pascali, who's, who's the founder of it. He's a very good friend of mine, in fact. And he once gave me some olive oil from his olive oil farm, which, which is, <laughs> is very, very good, very good. Um, and they recognize that that was... The other problem with the 863 or 862 is it's quite tricky to prep a margin without getting an undercut, which just goes back to what we were saying before with seating issues and fracturing issues. So 862 and 863 are not without their difficulties. So they came up with the Batber BAWT to counteract this, and it's a much chunkier burr. And I would agree, in inexperienced hands, you're much less likely to gouge the root. And you're also um, much less likely to get an undercut. The problem is it's quite a fat burr. So you do a little bit more than ginger ties. You make a massive whacking great trough all the way around the tooth. And if you look at the cases, there's typically quite a lot of bleeding. So um, as soon as you, if you just remove epithelium from the, the sulcus, you get uh, tissue healing within about 7 to 14 days, and it's pretty predictable. If you trough away a lot of connective tissue, Mm-hmm. let's be honest here we're all going to remove a bit of connective tissue irrespective yep. of how careful or how good an operator we are but if you remove a lot the patient's going to get more pain afterwards for sure and the healing is going to be a lot less predictable um, so for that reason I'm not a big fan of the bat burr however the bat burr has an advantage in so much as it has a safe tip Mm-hmm. In other words, the tip of it isn't diamond-coated. 
But you can, and again, I'll mention brands here from Mysinger, you can get an 863 with a safe tip. All right. There you go. So I actually use a Mysinger 863 or 862 safe tip. So I get, I, I'm just actually putting the slides together for next year's lectures, but mm-hmm. that I've been using that for about 10 months now, and I'm really... So I think it's the first time I've admitted it publicly, but um, that is kind of the best of both worlds. So you've got a safe tip that doesn't gouge, but it's a much finer burr. Yeah. So yeah. in answer to your question, I think both techniques are have their disadvantages. Yeah. Let's say which, that. Which, which is why the, the, the sort of uh, flame shape with a non-cutting edge makes so much sense. So that's... that's... Because it's a very slim burr, particularly if you use a 0.12, which is what I use. It's, that's 1.2 millimeter diameter rather than 0.16. A mm-hmm. lot less tissue damage. Um, it's just a bit more sophisticated way of doing it. But, see, I, but I, it's I not a very well publicized burr, you see. Not many. Mm. I, I, I mean, I, I've been involved in writing the book and I didn't know anything about it. Um, and I just kind of fell upon it when I was dealing with Meissinger. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a nice book. Brilliant. No, that's a great tip. And uh, I started using the 862, 863, like you advised. Uh, and then because I didn't trust myself, I moved to the bat burr. So the way I, yeah. uh, the way I uh, prevent, the way I sort of learned to prevent uh, really destroying the gingiva is just uh, packing lots of PTFE in the sulcus. Mm-hmm. And, and then that way I'm not destroying the sulcus. And it, give, it makes a little stock for me. Yeah, but then that, the, the, that's fine, but it takes time to pack the mm-hmm. PTFE. So it's time consuming, very time consuming actually. Yeah. And you're not getting any gingitage, mm-hmm. which is the whole point of the procedure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. I, I see. What I mean, so it's essentially um, it, it almost makes it a super gingival or echo gingival uh, technique by, by doing that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's probably very good for a lower molar. Yep. You know, you have a knife edge finish slightly equi or super gingival on a lower molar. It's fine. That's going to give you a reasonable outcome. Look a bit odd on the x-ray because you've got yep. kind of a, a, a notch and then and then, then your margin. But on a on an upper central incisor, that's not going to look that great, I don't think. You're right. So everything I've been saying, to be fair, I haven't done this technique anteriorly just because I, I, I mostly use it for premolars, fractured, uh, maximizing <coughs> ferrule posteriorly. Whereas I think you, you're right to, to have the sort of tissue control and thing to wrap up on vertipreps is... Yeah, well, that was, that was the main questions I wanted about vertiprep. Is there okay. anything else that you want to... Uh, tell the listeners about vertical crowns? Mm, no. Well, I would suggest, and, and this is not advertising myself, I would suggest that you don't learn it off Facebook. No, that, that, that's, that's great advice. But I, I was going to ask you actually just now, can you, you know, you are doing think, courses on, on vertical yeah. preparation. Can you please tell us about that? Yeah, we do. We do, uh, well, varying courses. We have a website um, and, um, yeah, I think, I think the thing with vertical is burr angulation. It's really all about burr angulation, whether you use fat burr or whether you use the H63. And you can't really learn about burr angulation from pictures on Facebook. So you actually physically need to see it done, demonstrated, yep. whether it be by me or, or whoever. Yep. Just make sure you actually see it done. And then, then actually do a course where you physically get some hands-on component because actually it's quite tricky to do. 
it's much better to learn on a plastic model. There's no GDC involved in that. Um, uh, nor is there absolutely. any bleeding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Always about before you test it out on a patient. So that that would be my t- take home message. Don't that the fact that's um, that's the first slide in my lecture. Don't learn this technique on Facebook because it's it's something that's tactile and you you really have to learn it by seeing really. Absolutely, uh, and uh, if you don't mind, I'll put. Oh, I'm sure you don't mind. I'll put the your the website for your for your courses yeah, on, on my blog, yeah. along with yeah. all the other sort of uh, things that you mentioned. I'll put Lloyd's paper, the eggshell technique, your website yeah. for your courses. Uh, when's your next main course coming along? I've got a course in Russia next week in Moscow. Uh, no, for for UK. Uh, so maybe eighty percent of my listeners are UK based. Uh, if they're looking to come in a Smith, God, one uh, they're looking I, at. This is this is terrible, but I don't even know. Um, I think <laughs> I think we got one coming up uh, in about March in Glasgow. I think it's my first okay. year. Jason, thanks so much for coming on Patricia and the podcast. Uh, I, I, you know, my podcast is quite clinically focused, so I'm going to try and put some supporting sort of information for my listeners. If anything went above anyone's head, please send in some questions if you'd like. In fact, that reminds me, someone did actually send in a question for you. I, I posted on Facebook, you know, I'm, you're going to come on the podcast. Are there any questions for you? The problem is this question is like, you know, this question, you could probably lecture. And I, I know you do lecture about this for like five days in a row about this one thing. And so the, 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 he wanted to know about uh, composites <clears throat> for free rehabilitations and managing the occlusion. And I just don't think you can satisfy <laughs> That's <laughs> like an MSC. <laughs> but if there was one tip that you could give to, to, to someone, just any the random thing, I've got one tip in my head. I'll I'll give him as well. But is there what what would you say is the one tip in any sort of scope domain of that sort of uh, question? For where uh, Stephen Covey begin with the end in mind. Brilliant. Too many people start a wear case by slapping some composite on the teeth, and really, what you need to do is to take a step back and work out why they've got a problem, um, work out where you want them to end up, and that usually involves uh, doing some deprogramming uh, and usually some articulated models and usually a diagnostic wax up. So actually the composite is, is the least important part of treating a wear case. The, the most important part is actually the diagnostics and deciding where you're going to go. So that's the main message there. Otherwise, you're going to get really burned. Brilliant. And one, one thing that, Jason, I like your opinion on this is something I'm, uh, I do quite a bit is if I'm restoring a chipped or worn upper anterior region, and if I notice that the lower anteriors are, are, are sharp and chipped and, and broken, and mm. I, I, I smooth the, the, yeah. the opposing sharp bits of enamel to, to get nice, flatter, uh, rounded uh, opposing contacts to distribute the force better, is that a valid approach? Mm, we call that incisal edge grooming. Mm-hmm. Okay. Macro, I didn't know incisal that. But, but I, manicure. Incisal edge manicure. It was called by David. Uh, oh, gosh. There's a guy I saw on Dental Town maybe 15, yeah. 20 years ago. I love it. Um, incisal manicure. That's fantastic. Incisal edge manicure. It's, it's, it's a soft flex disc for two or three minutes, um, but it makes a hell of a difference. Yeah, so yeah, you, 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 I mean, I'm doing this, but you're, you're happy that I'm doing this, and it's, it's a good thing to do. I, I think it makes a difference in, a, in terms of oh, force distribution. Yeah. And, and patients, you know, I say to patients, you know, because I think, oh, why is he touching my lower teeth? I'm home, the top one's fixed. I say, look, why don't we just level these out and make them a lot prettier, a lot smoother on your tongue? And it's a less, a less of a sawing effect on your upper teeth. Um, That's a great way to put it. 
Yeah, because, um, you know, if I was having some upper centrals fixed in composite and, and somebody starts banging away at my lower teeth, I'd be like, what's he doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you've kind of got to, to some degree, sell it, but it's, it's a positive thing for them. And most people sit up and go, oh, that feels better, you know, they don't feel so sharp. But they didn't realize they were sharp because they'd accommodated to it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's good. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jason. Really, really appreciate you having me on. Pleasure. Thank you very much. So thank you again for listening all the way to the end. I'm sorry if it was a bit echoey. Uh, Jason was recording in in a large room. So um, I'm hoping my editor managed to um, get rid of that echo magically. But if if it was still a little bit of echo there, I apologize. Not the usual crisp quality that people tell me about. So next episode is with Kushal Gadia. I'm not going to tell you the title. It's going to be a funny one. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be very relevant for daily, daily practice. But it is on the theme of occlusion. And it may or may not involve a certain joint. A lot of you have also been recommending guests to me that you think will be good and I've started to contact them uh, Contact them, and everyone said yes so far so I've got a great lineup coming up. Uh, one thing I'm also very um, sort of forward thinking about I suppose is or, or rather I'm mindful of is that a lot of the speakers I'm having on you know at the beginning I had lots of female speakers which is awesome then I had lots of male and now it's getting a bit male dominated and I think there's such great women in dentistry so uh, I've already contacted some really really inspiring female dentists is, is that politically correct? Female dentists? Women dentists? Women in dentistry. I think they have so much to offer. So uh, that's going to be happening in my podcast future episodes as well. So please tune in. And I'm sorry if there was any confusion about the sort of splint course that I'm doing in Thatcham. It's actually two dates. So you can either come on the 1st of February or the 29th of February. They're both Saturday. So it's not a two-day course, a one-day course. But if you want to come along, you can do. Just give me a DM, message me, and I'll send you the, the link that you need. And lastly, if you like what you heard and you want to go to one of Jason's courses, I'm going to put the link up in my blog post, which will be on www.jazz.dental underneath this podcast episode. So you can go on one of his VertiPrep courses, which I've been dying to get to. I can't make the April date. It's my sister's birthday, but hopefully he'll do another one in the UK. If not, I'm more than happy to travel because, you know, I love mixing travel and dentistry. It's tax deductible holidays to me at the end of the day. So, uh, yeah, you can check that out. And thank you so much for listening.